0: And then when I saw the rainbow, I was reminded of that moment. And I think it was a way in which God gave us this incredible reminder. If you know in the Bible, the rainbow represented a covenant, a promise that God made to his people after the flood, that I shall never, ever do a flood or destroy the earth as I had done with with the flood. But what you don't know about that story, because you've probably heard it a million times, is that... The Hebrew word for bow was, of course, the rainbow. But it was the first time humanity ever saw a rainbow. Uh, But it was called a bow. And most Jewish commentators say that that word bow was actually the same word they used for a crossbow. It was a military weapon. And the image of the bow turning outward versus turning inward was a powerful image to the Jewish people. Because from, from this day on now, the bow is always going to be pointed towards God. And that picture was, now no longer will the bow be pointed towards you, but it's going to, be torn, going to be pointed towards God, and that pointed to Jesus. That he's going to take the punishment. So here we are on the last night of Fat Camp, and God gives us a rainbow. We had rain, it was maybe a source of discouragement for some of us, but then he provides a rainbow to remind us of his promise and also how it's directed towards him. And of course, Christ taking the final arrow in this kind of conflict between us and God. And we've been journeying on this idea of lying heart and about our love and love is a very hard word for me. I didn't grow up with it. Uh, even when I was younger, uh, even in my relationships, I don't, I didn't use the word love very often. And partly is the reason because I knew the latent power in it. And when I first met Jamie, my wife, I remember, uh, in America, we have this holiday called Valentine's day. Do you guys have Valentine's day? Oh, you do? Okay. Is it on July? Is it on uh, February 14th? Oh, same. Oh, okay. So you're like Americans. Uh, <laughs> And at that point, we were dating for about, according, however you want to call it, for about five months. And, you know, me being the very slick man that I am, I asked her. I said, you know, Valentine's Day. We hadn't used the word love. I don't like using the word love. So I was just, you know, we had a really nice dinner, and I bought her chocolate-covered strawberries, Mm, which I ate most of it. (laughs) Um, And I remember asking her, like, you know, just to kind of get a feel of where she was at. So... I didn't want to outright say anything because I'm too cool for that. So I said, if you were to marry someone, like just say, what would – like just tell me some of the qualities that you would want a man to – that you would want to marry, right? So I was thinking how many of those things I can check off. And she looked right at me because she's a strong Chinese woman and said, you are everything that I want in a husband, Except <laughs> if you were just a little bit taller. Because my wife is a little taller than I am. So in all our wedding pictures, she's like this. <laughs> but then, the, the, I mean, that was very sweet. But then the next thing that was even you know, kind of jarring for me because it was a very scary moment was when she said, I love you. And you know how it is. When she says, I love you, like, you have to kind of say it back. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> like, that's very sweet. Um, because I couldn't really say those words. It, it was just something that I'm, I wasn't used to. And then I kind of was like, you know, and then throughout the night we were talking. And, you know, it was also time for us to kind of reveal some of our brokenness. And I was sharing how it's really hard for me. And you didn't know this part of my story. And I know a lot of you think that I have such a jack life. And I pretty, do, I pretty much have a jack life. But prior to meeting Jamie, I actually was engaged to another woman. Before I met her. And about three months before our engagement, she broke it off. Uh, Her mother had cancer. And she said that uh, she felt God calling her to seminary. And she felt that I didn't want to marry. And at that time, I thought she didn't want to get married in general because her mother had cancer. She wanted to go to seminary. And I said, okay, we can call it off. She's like, no, I don't want to be married to you. So this idea of love was really hard for me. And it was very difficult for me. And then what happened was when... That night we're kind of we're discovering our stories a little bit, and how I said it's really hard for me to say I love you. I like you a lot, lot, lot. Like if there's if this was love, like you're like so close, and she kind of was upset. And but then she goes, you know, you're the first guy I ever told that I love you. And she's like twenty something year old woman, like she's beautiful, but she goes, I felt that was something that I felt God wanted to keep for me for my husband. I didn't want to give my body away to another man. I didn't want to give my heart to another man. So the person I marry is the person that I felt like was the first person I want to say I love you. But this word love is really hard for me. And it was just kind of one of those things as we went on and on in our relationship, all these things that God was redeeming in me. Then finally, you know, a few months later, I was able to say, you know, it was like it was just this random thing where she's really bad at giving gifts because every time she gives me gifts, I have no idea what this gift is about. She gave me a headlamp one year. (laughs) Like, you know, it's a headlamp. It's like a flashlight on your forehead. And I had no idea, like, why did you give me a headlamp? She's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you don't need a headlamp in New York City unless you're stuck in a tunnel. (laughs) And she's like, oh, maybe one day when you go camping, you'll like it. And I was like, okay. But I said, oh, that's really sweet. I love you. And I remember saying that, and I was, like, scared because I didn't mean to say it. And she goes, What, you, lo- you love the gift? I'm like, No, 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 no I love you. Um, because that word is so powerful. And as we've been going through the next couple of days, there's different kinds of love. And I remember the first time I told my parents, I love you, it was just a few years ago, where I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I love you. A typical Chinese mom, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I said, No, mom, stop, stop, stop. Like I love you. And she goes, Yeah, we, we all love each other. <laughs> we all love. Yes, love is good. Everybody love. Yeah. We love everybody. I said, No, 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 mom, I love you. And I said, I don't want you to in the next few years of your life to know, like, I want to spend this time expressing how much I love you. And I just felt like this her face was just in pain. And my dad was like, Stop, enough. And I said, Dad, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and here we come to this incredible moment. And in, again, it's actually almost a continuation of what we did with the doubting Thomas. It's a continuation from the book of John. And, quite, and, Peter, and, and, and Jesus approaches Peter and asks this really important question, do you love me? And at the surface, it looks like a very painful experience for Peter. And it is. It's incredibly painful. But it was something that Jesus wanted to do so that his heart would be right, that his heart, as he's about to be called and in this particular passage, he's actually called to die, that God's going to take him to a place he doesn't want to go, and a place he doesn't want to go is actually a place of death for the sake of the gospel. So if you can turn with me to John 21, verse 15 to 19, is where we're going to go tonight. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you have a Bible in your hand, again, it's the fourth gospel. So if you go to the New Testament, uh, or if the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, no, Malachi, and uh, it's right there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, okay? And we're going to go to chapter 20, sorry, 21, 15 to 19. We're all there? Hold on. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, 15. 1-5 to 1-9. All right. We're good? When they had just finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But you are old. You will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, this is our last evening. It's a time to kind of take in everything that we have learned over the course of these last several days. Not just the preaching, but the songs, the workshops, the small groups, the times of prayer, even the free time. All these are culminating to tonight. And we have an opportunity to respond to what you're teaching us. I pray for us as we enter this text, just be with me. Uh, just fill me with also conviction what this text means and how much it means to not only myself, but to the people of God here, move in this place, and may we be receptive to it, in Jesus' name. Um, we originally, we were supposed to be outside, but if we were outside, I would tell you that this scene is pretty much what's outside, there by a lake. And uh, prior to this moment, um, it was a pretty intense scene. Jesus shows up, and Thomas is with him. And Peter sees him, and as soon as he sees Jesus, he jumps out of a boat in a typical dramatic Peter style. Peter's very dramatic. He jumps out of the boat, runs, and they catch all this fish. And again, I'm going to probably hopefully go cover that a little bit. And then in that, Jesus asks them to make breakfast, and they're going to have breakfast together. And they're eating together. And this is the context in which the conversation is having. They're eating breakfast together with Jesus. And here was Peter who spent three years with the Lord. He had what you probably call a rather very intense relationship with Jesus. Uh, He certainly understood Jesus more than most disciples to be God in the human flesh. He understood Christ to be none other than the Messiah. He understood that he had a miraculous power. He understood that there was no one like him. Even pagans that knew no other would speak of Jesus in a very special way. So here's Peter who had this very intense relationship. And if there was any man that understood him, if there was any man that really had a heart of intensity for Jesus, it was him. And he was even so bold that as a disciple of Jesus, he even rebuked Jesus to say, let it not be so when Jesus said that he was about to be crucified. And that he even said, if you think you're going to the cross, I'm not going to allow it. He was so brash. And even in his boldness, his brashness, he says, if everybody else in the world forsakes you, I never will. He was overconfident. That marked him. On the surface, he looked like an incredible lion heart. But as you know, or some of you know, when the testing came, this incredible disciple who said, Even if everyone forsake you, I will not. He fell and failed in a heap of denials. And here we come to this chapter where Peter is being restored. Peter has been the leader of the 12, their spokesman. He was chosen by the Lord Jesus personally as part of the inner circle of the three, including James and John. He's always listed at the head of every listing of the apostles. He stayed close enough to Jesus to walk on water. To speak profound revelation, to be bold and forthright. And even at the moment when he grabbed the sword, remember that scene? In the garden to try to defend Jesus against the Roman soldiers, he cut the ear off of a Roman soldier. But on the other hand, on this lion-hearted boldness, he was also incredibly weak. He denied Jesus with curses, losing his courage, acting in disobedience, fear. And cowardice. so here's this moment in the scripture again. here's Peter, and there's some incredible insights here, because the disciple who just earlier denied the Lord three times, even as the Lord told him that he would be, he asked three times, "Do you love me?" more than these, "Do you love me? Do you love me?" This threefold kind of repeating three times repeating, must have been so excruciating for Peter. Who again affirms his love for Christ with an emphatic declaration that Christ, who knows everything, you know me. I can't hide anything from you. You know my heart. You know what my heart is. That Peter is again saying, I love you. That I love you. That I love you. And it says in this passage that Peter was grieved the third time. Because the Greek tells us the first time Jesus asks him, he says, do you agape me? Do you remember what agape is? It's the godly love. The second time he asks again. And then Peter responds, I cannot agape you. He says, I phileo you. He says, I phileo you. And Jesus said, do you agapo me? He goes, no, I phileo you. The second time is the same repetition. Peter, do you agape me? Peter responds, again, I phileo you. But the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And that was the point when he was grieved. Because in his mind, he's thinking, Here's Jesus challenging me to say, I want you to love like the way I love. And then all of them, Jesus is like, okay, obviously you can't do that, so I'm going to lower the standards and just come to where you are in Phileo. But he does not realize that it was actually restoration and helping him and celebrating his knowledge and understanding. He's maturing now knowing that I cannot agape. And as you're walking through this Christian faith, even as we're about to go out to this time of dedication and commitment, you can come in with it saying, I'm going to do and change my life to be agape. And if you're going to do that, you're going to fail miserably throughout your life as a Christian. When I saw Jade up here broken and crying, and I said, That is exactly the posture in which God loves the best. That's a lion heart. That's the posture in which God works. That's the ground and soil in which God cultivates the strongest people. Is in this sense that I cannot agape, but I can phileo. And it's this profound moment for Peter because he is, he could have been like, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you agape me? He could say, finally, you know what? Yeah, I could. But he's coming to terms with himself. I can't. I can only phileo because I'm not you. Only God can agape. And what's so, so profound about this experience too is this, they're eating and they're catching fish and they, they're pulling up this fish in this net and they're eating. And, I, and it, again, it recurs in my mind, this whole scene. When do we remember seeing fish? When do we remember eating? With the feeding of the 5,000, which is, you know, depicted in all four gospels. And if you've been in church enough, you know that story. There's thousands of people that need to be fed. Estimates is 5,000, but it could be up to 11,000 people needed to be fed. And Jesus multiplied these loaves of bread and fish. But the disciple says, I cannot do it. They do not have the power of God. They do not have the agape. They don't have the capacity to do it. All they have is phileo. And that passage, that episode is so powerful because oftentimes in our lives, even in church, you, are, you think that I can manufacture this stuff, the fish, and I can feed all these people. That's why when I looked at the counselors, I prayed for them. that Not out of their own flesh and strength that they can love you because all they can do is phileo you, but they can point to the agape. Because oftentimes we think we're called to manufacture. Like, I got to create stuff. I got to produce stuff. I got to produce a program. I got to love my kids. I got to show up to all these things to my kids. But at the end of the day, you're not called to produce stuff, you're called to distribute. And that's what the disciples did. Jesus took care of the multiplying, and all the disciples had to do was go around and pass on the food, which is the picture of the church. So here's this passage where Jesus is confronting Peter. But I would also say, say, remember what I said yesterday, he's comforting him. For every time he says, I can only agape, I can only philo," do you love me? He says, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. He's commissioning him. So what he's basically doing to Peter is this. For every denial that you made. Every time he said, I don't know him. I don't know this man. For every three denials or this, Jesus was restoring him and commissioning him. And commissioning him means basically, I'm going to send you out now to feed my sheep, feed my lamb. And he told him this. And he would say that this martyrdom, this death that you're going to have is going to glorify God. And at this point, from this on, Peter's life, takes a huge turn. He never denies Christ ever again. So what this passage is telling us, that before God wants to work through you, he wants to work in you. That's why in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a reminder that we're called to allow God to work in through us he's the vine where the branches were to be nourished by him so that we go forth we're not producing things on our own but rather through what god is working in and through us And this passage has always been very comforting to me because god uses it again of restoration peter thought it was condemnation to mock him for the three times that you denied me do you love me do you love me do you love me me? but it's for restoration and it comforts me because whenever God puts us through these kind of mirrors in front of us, he puts us face to face and you know, face to face. If you remember the parable of the prodigal son, it's always about him running and kissing this idea. Even the Psalm three. So we are lifting up my head, this face. Now we know that because face is the relational pathway, meaning that we know each other by looking at each other's face. I don't recognize you by your elbow i don't go oh there goes well maybe ian because he has guns he has pretty decent arms um i don't look at his elbow go, oh that's ian's elbow there you go what's up ian hey and i look at his elbow but it's through our face because that's our relational pathway and here we are in this incredible passage where he's saying like come I want you to be restored. I want you to have this conversation. With me, and I'm here to restore you. And in my own life, I think I needed that. Because I was very much like Peter. My first six months in youth ministry it was my first six months. We had this great outreach event locally in this school. And I felt so good about myself. I preached to about like 500 kids, they all loved me. They thought I was awesome. People were like, you know, shaking my hand. They thought I was amazing, da 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 da. And then as as the event was over, we had this opportunity for people to come to faith, and we had this thing, like, if you want to receive Jesus at this moment. And then 60 kids came to faith that day. I felt awesome. I was flexing my, you know, I was so excited. I went home. And I went to the local deli, delicatessen. Do you you have delis here? Oh, deli is like a little supermarket, like a tiny supermarket. Um, And I went, and at that day, I didn't realize that hard lemonade was alcohol. I just thought it was like lemonade that was really strong. And I went home, and I drank the hard lemonade. Now, what you didn't know is that I had struggled with alcoholism for most of my adult life. And God brought that issue out of my heart when I was converted. And when he brought me back, I didn't drink anymore. I was was clean and sober. But I didn't realize that that hard lemonade was alcohol. And the minute I drank it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is alcohol. Because I knew the minute it would hit my mouth. But guess what happened? I couldn't stop. I went back to that deli, got a couple of beers. And after I went to that deli, I went to a local liquor store and I couldn't stop drinking for almost a week. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I had to go to my director and told them I have to be honest with you, I've been drinking this whole week. I'm an alcoholic. And the director said, you need to take off because you cannot minister in this condition for your own sake and for the sake of the, chil- for the youth. But he, she said, you need to tell the youth why you're, you're, you're leaving. Not to shame me. It wasn't like this idea of shaming me, but I needed to be honest because I, wasn't, I was kind of like out of it after this incredible event. And I remember sitting in the room telling the youth about what happened. And I remember one youth I'll never forget came up to me tears in his eyes is I hate you my father's an alcoholic you're just like him I respected you I thought you were this great leader but you're just like him you're nothing but a disappointment to me I don't want to ever see you here if you're here in the youth center I don't want to be here when you're here and his last parting words to me was I wish you can go to hell I took some time, came before God, and said, Why? You called me into ministry. I feel called. It was a restoration again that if you look at my past life when I was in a gang, this is my way going back to the community in Chinatown to where we're gang kids. Why are you taking this away from me? But I realized he wasn't taking it away from me, but he was giving himself to me to remind me. You think you're agape. You think all this ministry that you're doing is through you because you're this incredible, courageous, awesome guy? You're nothing. Don't forget who you were before I came into your life. And I do that, Peter, not because to condemn you, not to put you in this place saying, see, look, let me show you. Do you agape? Do you agape? Do you agape? But they say, you know what? You're not capable of it, but I am. And this is what's going to hold you. And what's incredible about the trajectory of this story, just like Thomas, is that later on we discover when Peter is martyred, when he's about to get killed for his faith. Do you know the story? It's not in the Bible, but it's in history. They're about to crucify Peter. You know what Peter says? Do not crucify me standing up, like upright. We'd rather crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. Whenever I hear that story, it reminds me of this incident because he's basically saying, I'm not agape. If you crucify me like my my, my savior, you're saying that I'm like agape and I'm not. But I'm phileo. Turn me upside down. And that's my appropriate response to even my death. And I feel like that's when Peter got it. That's when he grew up. That's when I think when Jesus heard Peter say You know everything. You know my heart. You know I filaeo you. It actually brought joy to Jesus, and that's why joy. And that's why Jesus says, "Now that you know this, you're going to go forth and feed my sheep, feed my lamb." Because if Peter said, "I will agape you," I'm pretty sure he would have been, "No, you will not feed my sheep," because Scripture tells tells us that Jesus is the great shepherd. But he is the great shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. So tonight we're about to go. And my greatest fear is that as you're thinking about Lionheart again, as you're thinking about this, this moment of, of giving and of committing, that you're saying to God, I am committing because you committed to me first. That's why First John is my ring. It's in the scriptures in my ring that says, I love because you loved us first or you loved me first. And that has always been the dynamic of the gospel. That wherever you are, as you're about to go, and you're about to say, hey, I'm leaving this camp. It's ending soon. You might feel really high. You feel like I could take on the world. You're ready to say, yo, Satan, bring it on, son. Because you feel really high right now. You have a group of people. But once you go back home, you go on Facebook, and you realize, wow, my life is pretty lame. My life is not as cool as other people. And all these voices start coming back again. And if you think it's just going to be mustering up your faith, mustering up your strength, but rather to say, no, I'm going to look to you who is my strength. In 1998, when I made a commitment to Jesus Christ for fully, it was through a camp for adults. And the speaker changed my life because he said, you do not understand commitment. Nobody in this room understands commitment. But we are committed because he committed to us first. And that changed my life. And that was the trajectory for the rest of my life. It's always been my place. And if you can remember that, I you, I you, but you agape. You will have a lion heart. You'll have a true heart. You'll have strength. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you restored Peter. I'm thankful that you restored me. I thank you that oftentimes in our faith we try to exaggerate, but the reality, Lord, is that we can't commit. We tend to exaggerate too more, too much, and we can't exaggerate anymore. We're not this powerhouse Christian, but rather we are just followers of this powerhouse God. And we thank you, Lord, for this encounter you had with Peter. It was an honest answer. And Jesus, we can only come to you with this. And When you ask us, do you love me? Well, all we can say is that we phileo you, but you agape us. Make this a reality, not only for today, this camp, but for the rest of our lives. May that be the, the cornerstone in which we understand the power is not within us to do, but rather what has been done for us. And in following you, I believe that we are called to feed this sheep. That your comfort to us, not for us are on our own, but to comfort others, to point to Christ. So may we acknowledge our need of being fed this grace and truth today as we bow to go into this sacred time, consecrated in a way that's meaningful, consecrated in a way that will bring truth into reality, into our lives but not as an extravagant act of ours, but an extravagant receiving of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.